First Samuel chapter number 18. Would you go there in your Bible? Glad to be back in our study through the book of First Samuel. Seeking a king, we left off with the very popular narrative of David and Goliath in chapter 17. Now we are in chapter number 18. We're going to be studying the entire chapter tonight. Uh, for our message, but, but instead of reading every verse up front, I want to read just a few of the verses from this chapter that I think give us an idea of the author's main theme. I want you to remember when we're studying these Old Testament narratives together, we're looking for clues in the story that tip us off to what the Holy Spirit had in mind through inspiring and preserving this story in the canon of Scripture. We're looking for clues. Because when you, when you study a narrative like chapter 18 or David and Goliath chapter 17, you can take a couple of different approaches. You can do a micro application of these big stories. So in, in chapter 18, we could talk about friendship. Chapter 18, we could talk about jealousy. Uh, chapter 18, uh, we, we could talk about how that one person can never destroy God's purpose for your life. There's a lot of different sub-themes within these Old Testament narratives. And if we wanted to do that, it would be appropriate and we could do that. My aim tonight is to zoom out a little bit on 1 Samuel 18 and not do a micro-application, but to see what is the main idea, the overarching theme of this narrative. I don't want to get lost in the weeds of the sub-themes tonight. I, I want to take the entire narrative. And one of the ways that you find the clues that tip us to what that overarching theme is, is you look for repetition. Repetition is that literary technique, a communicative technique that's used to develop a theme or, or drive home a main point. And there's something repeated three times in chapter 18. And it's very clearly the theme. Starting in verse 12. And Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and was departed from Saul. Skip down to verse 14. And David behaved himself wisely in all his ways and the Lord was with him. Skip down to verse 28. <clears throat> and Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David. See that phrase? The Lord was with him. That's the phrase that the author is wanting to get uh, across through this narrative. So what exactly does this phrase mean? Why is it repeated? And why is it so important? Well, go back to 1 Samuel 16. Would you do that? Because 1 Samuel 18, interestingly enough, isn't the first time that this phrase is, is spoken of in regards to David's life. The first time is in 1 Samuel chapter 12. Now, for sake of time, um, who's back there at, at the booth? Is that Luke? All right, Luke, I'm going to throw you a curveball. I want you to go to verse 18, okay? Verse 18. Uh, we were going to read 12 through 18. For sake of time, let's just read 18. This is where, where Samuel comes to anoint David as the next king of Israel, all right? He's went through all of Jesse's sons, and now it's time to anoint David. Verse 18 says after they anointed him, he's going to go back and play the heart for Saul. They're looking for somebody that can soothe his spirit. It says, then answered one of the servants and said, Behold, I've seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite that is cunning and playing and a mighty valiant man and a man of war and prudent in matters. 
and a comely person, and here it is, and the Lord is with him. I believe this phrase, the, the Lord was with him, or the Lord is with David, speaks to God's anointing of David, his blessing on David's life, his empowering of David for his plan and purposes through him. I would say it this way. For the Lord to be with us, it means this, that regardless of the circumstance or, or, or opposition, God is present and powerful to act for your good. You need to get a hold of that there. Because it's going to be repeated over and over and over. For God to be with David, for God to be with you, means that regardless of the circumstance or the opposition, God is present and powerful to act for our good. That's proven in, ver in chapter 17, is it not? A shepherd boy with only a sling in his hand stood before a 10 foot tall giant whose spear was taller than David's entire body. But because the Lord was with him, he was present and powerful to act for David's good, even in the face of such great opposition. Now we get to chapter 18. The episode with David and Goliath is finished. Goliath's dead, but there's a new Goliath. There's a new giant in David's life, and it's called King Saul. And through this episode with David and King Saul, we're going to discover that just like God was with David to fight Goliath, he was with David to endure the spear-throwing lunatic called Saul. And two truths we're going to discover about being God being with us. That's the title of the message tonight. God with us. Here's the first. When God is with you, others may be against you. It's interesting how the author makes this point. He uses a powerful contrast. Now, I'm going to warn you, church, it's a Sunday night. You might be tired. It might be warm. Um, at least you don't have 15 lights shining on you like this. Um, but you're going to have to study with me tonight. You're going to have to really want to learn tonight because we're going to dive into Scripture. But it's interesting how the author makes this point. He uses a powerful contrast. Now follow this. Look at verses 1 through 4. And again, I could talk about friendship here, but we're, we're going for the greater point. And it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would let him go no more home to his father's house. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David and his garments, even to his sword and to his bow and to his girdle. Do you get the significance of this moment? Jonathan had everything to lose here. He was the heir of the throne. King Saul had just been rejected. Jonathan knew, I'm next when daddy dies. And then when he saw that the Lord was with David and anointed David and was present in David to be the next king of Israel, Jonathan took off his garment, took, took off his girdle, gave David his sword. He's signifying, I'm submitting to the man God is with. I'm for you, David. That's amazing. It's amazing. Go to verse 5. And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him and, and behaved himself wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war. And he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. So verse 1 through 4 show us how the king's son loved David. Verse 5 shows us how the king's servants 
And the king's soldiers loved David. Verse 7. And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul hath slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. The king's son loves David. The king's servants love David. The king's women love David. Mm. Verse 16. (laughs) But all Israel and Judah loved David. The king's son loved David. The king's servant loved David. The king's women loved David. The king's people loved David. Verse 28. And Saul saw and knew that the Lord is with David and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him. The king's son loved David. The king's servants loved David. The king's women loved David. The king's people loved David. And the king's daughter loved David. It seems as though everyone acknowledges that the Lord is with David based on his wise behavior and they choose to love and accept and support the man of God. By the way, you ought to be thankful for the people God's put in your life that love and accept and support you. If at any moment you feel like everyone is against you, you're wrong. A lot of people may be against you, but God will always preserve at least one person on this earth who's heading in the same direction as you. Do not get in a self-pity little cryball session. What does that mean? Crybaby session. <laughs> Thinking you're the only one in all the world that is for you. God will always have a Jonathan. It might come in the form of a, of a parent, a grandparent, a spouse, a child, a sibling, Um, It it could come in the form of of a connection group leader at church or a deacon or deacon's wife or a ministry leader here, a a, a staff, ministry staff person. It it could come in all different forms. But but you ought to thank God on a regular basis that there will always be somebody that is for you. Why does the author go to great length to show that nearly everyone around David loves and accepts him? Why does he do that? He does this to contrast the one person who chooses not to. And that person is King Saul, who happened to be a very powerful person. Watch this. By highlighting that everyone else is for David, the writer is getting us to understand how absurd it was for King Saul to be against him. And the text makes it clear why King Saul hated David and how that played out. It's wild. Study with me. Verse 7. And the women answered one another as they played and and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very wroth. And the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed unto David ten thousands. And to me, they've ascribed a thousand. Can you hear him just whining, like saying this out loud? And what, if, if we had Facebook, this would be all over Facebook. And what can he have more but the kingdom? It sounds like another president I've seen that tweets out his, all his whiny messages. Anyway, and Saul, I, David, from that day and forward. And it came to pass, verse 10, on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul and he prophesied in the midst of the house and David played with his hand as at other times and there was a javelin in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the javelin for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. And David avoided out of his presence twice. Let me stop for a second and deal with a couple phrases here you may wonder about. It said that an evil spirit from God came upon Saul. You might be thinking, hold on a second. Why would God send someone An evil spirit. James chapter 1 says he's never the author or the originator of sin. He never attempts us. So you got to understand what the author is saying here. The evil spirit that came upon Saul was not given to him by God. It was allowed by God. 
Okay, so when Saul got jealous toward David, he set himself up to be bitter towards David. Watch here. Here's what happened. Saul left his jealousy unchecked, this little emotion. And that left him vulnerable to even a more, more dangerous emotions. And that's when the Lord allowed an evil spirit that was very satanic, one of wrath and bitterness and vindictiveness to come upon Saul. Follow this. You and I must be aggressive about killing the emotion of jealousy and envy while it's small, lest, it, lest God allows that evil spirit to come upon us of wrath and bitterness. Because when jealousy becomes bitterness, you've got an evil spirit that is originated by Satan that can lead you to do some really dumb and destructive things like throwing spears at people's heads. John Owen said, be killing your sin or your sin will be killing you. You think that you can walk around for any length of time with jealousy and envy toward a brother or sister in Christ and, and Satan just not even notice that you're vulnerable? No, you walk around with jealousy and envy for long enough and God might just allow Satan to come in and make you bitter and angry and vindictive and get really ugly at that point. Really, really, really ugly. Marriages get really, really bad when bitterness creeps in. Relationships within the church get really, really dangerous and, and almost destructive with words. No one's throwing spears at Fellowship Baptist Church. But we're throwing out words sometimes if we're not careful. You might have noticed that, that Saul was able to throw a spear twice at David. Now, if, if you're like me, if you're thinking person, you're like, why didn't David leave the first time? Well, remember, this is the second time David's been brought in to soothe Saul's spirit. David, at this point, didn't know Saul was jealous. David's thinking that he's being brought in this time for the same purpose last time. He's thinking literally the king is a lunatic. He said, this is what lunatics do. They throw spears, I guess. And so all he's doing is just serving the, serving the king. He thought all he's doing is being brought in to be a musician, to soothe an emotional spirit of a really powerful man that's having a really bad day. He didn't know that the spear was being thrown at him by a man that hated his guts. So after he threw it the first time, he probably went out, had his servant say, hey, you might go check on King Saul. He's, <clears throat> make sure he's taking his medicine. <laughs> and I'll be glad to go back in there, but can a couple guys go back with me? Maybe... Another day later, or hour later, I don't know. He went back in there and sure enough, here comes another javelin. Verse 12 tells us why. And Saul was afraid of David. That means David is a threat to him. Why? Because the Lord is with him and was departed from Saul. Therefore, Saul removed him from him and made him his captain over a thousand. He went out and came in before the people. So the verse tells us why Saul hated David. Because God chose David and rejected Saul. So now David is a threat to Saul's kingdom, which, by the way, Saul loved his kingdom more than he loved his king because God wasn't his king. It's important to note that David did not bring this hatred on himself. Study with me. The next few verses show us that. This is important. Verse 14. And David behaved himself wisely in all his ways. And the Lord is with them, verse 15, wherefore, when Saul saw that behaved himself very wisely, he was afraid of him, but all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. What's the author doing? He's showing us that David's an innocent man. He wants us to know that Saul has no right to hate David or treat him this way. David's done nothing but good for Saul. 
He soothed his, 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 his spirit by giving him some emotional relief through the playing of his harp. He brought some military relief for him by killing a giant for him. David has done nothing but good to Saul, yet Saul has done nothing but evil towards David. Question, have you suffered, ever suffered without cause? Have you ever been stung by accusations or slander? Or been alienated or been treated unfairly even though you did nothing wrong? This story is proof that just because God is with you doesn't mean everybody else will be. Just because most people are happy for you doesn't mean everyone will be happy for you. When the Lord is with you, it's possible that you'll have songs written about you by people that like you, while at the same time have spears thrown at you by people that oppose you. In fact, Satan is a master at using flesh and blood, using people. Some people of whom you love deeply and you've loved selflessly to unjustly inflict the deepest wounds in your life. Jealousy and Envy and pride and bitterness and vindictiveness, these are all very real emotions that lead to very destructive words and, 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 and actions and attitudes. And oftentimes God's people who have been shown his favor and are simply doing their best to steward his blessings wisely and walk in his will and live for him are often the recipients of such hurtful emotions. Unjust criticism. Intentional misunderstandings, blackmail, intimidation tactics, maligning gossip, passive-aggressive social media posts, selfish alienation. All of these are spears you may have to dodge if God is truly with you. So what do you do when that happens? Well, we do what David did in Psalms chapter 109. A psalm he wrote, no doubt, having learned from this very experience. He said this, Hold not thy peace, O God of my praise. For the mouth of the wicked and the mouth of the deceitful are opened against me. They have spoken against me with a lying tongue. They can pass me about also with words of hatred. and Fought against me without a cause. For my love, they're my adversaries. But I give myself unto prayer. Do you get that? What do we do when our wise behavior invites unjust criticism into our lives? What do we do when we're just following God's will for our life, but somebody we love doesn't like God's will for our life? What do we do when our friendship with one person makes another person our adversary? What do we do when being with God means that we turn others against us? Here's what we do. We give ourselves to prayer. We don't fight back, we don't retaliate, we don't gossip, we don't scream, we don't post, we pray. Here's what we normally do. We dodge a spear, then we turn around and pick up the spear and we throw it back. And you tell me, you you tell me, when is the last time that that really helped you? When is the last time that you picked up slander and threw it back? And you picked up anger and threw it back. And you picked up gossip and you threw it back. And you picked up a lie and you threw it back. And you picked up a post and you threw it back. When is the last time that really, really helped your relationships? 
By the way, David's not the only one that teaches us what to do in these moments. He teaches us to pray. But he's not the perfect example because we're going to study the life of David. He didn't always get this right. The ultimate example is Jesus Christ. By the way, he's the greater David. First Peter chapter two shows us this servants be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward for this is thankworthy. If a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully for what glory is it? If when you be buffeted for your faults, you shall take it patiently. But if when you do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently. This is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were you called because Christ also suffered for us. Here it is, the greater David, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who when he's reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Jesus gives us the example. The religious leaders of his day, much like Saul, noticed that God was with Jesus and it made them insecure and it made them jealous and eventually murderous toward Jesus. So they reviled him and they slandered him and they falsely accused him and they embarrassed him. Yet, yet when he could have judged them himself, he didn't. He committed them to the judgment of his father. That's why the author of Hebrews tells us this in Hebrews chapter 12. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He says, consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be weary and faint in your minds. When God is with you, when the mark of his presence is upon your life, when the mark of his blessing is upon your family, when the mark of his empowerment is upon your efforts, when he's fulfilling his plan through you, the devil will use some King Saul's in your life to slow you down, to come against you, to discourage you. And when they do, I'm telling you, it will hurt you and it will sadden you and it will weary you and it will anger you. But let me encourage you tonight to not take their judgment into your hands. Do not pick up a spear and throw it back. Commit them to the Father's judgment and keep behaving yourself wisely. Hey, don't apologize for God's blessings on your life. Don't step away from God-given opportunities in your life. Don't get discouraged. Don't get impatient. Don't, don't get defensive. Just stay faithful and know the Lord is with you. That's the first thing we learn. When God is with you, others may be against you. That's one side of the coin of God's presence and power to act for your good. When you have that much God on you, you can guarantee you'll have that much Satan against you. Here's the other side of the coin. It's more positive when God is with you. It doesn't matter who is against you. I'm not promoting a no care attitude. I think one of the most irresponsible, unspiritual, dumb things I hear Christians say is this. I don't care what people think of me. That's stupid. Why? Because you're supposed to be the salt of the earth. And the light of the world, you need to wake up every day thinking about what sinners might think of your words. What they might think of your dress. What they might think of your behavior. What they might think of your association. You need to think through and filter those things or you'll have no testimony whatsoever. You'll fly off the handle and say something like this. I don't care what they think. That's not cool. Not good. Not good. Not good. Not promoting that. I'm just saying. 
When God is with you, in the big scheme of things, it really doesn't matter who's against you because nobody can compete against the God of heaven. Verse 17, look at it. And Saul said to David, behold, my elder daughter Merib, her will I give thee to wife. Only be thou valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul said, let not my hand be upon him, but let the hand of the Philistines be upon him. And David said to Saul, who am I? What is my life for my father's family in Israel that I should be son-in-law to the king? Now, now do you see what's happening here? Saul said, I can't kill him with my spear, so I got to get more creative. I'm going to try to bribe him with my oldest daughter, Merib. So here's his strategy. I'm going to get him wed to get him dead. Not because Merib was a mean woman, but because if he wanted Merib, he had to go fight the king's battles. And Saul said, okay, the odds are in my favor because if I send him out to fight enough battles, he'll get killed. And so blood won't be on my hands. The people won't be mad at me. The women who wrote the songs, I mean, they'll just, they'll just scratch David's name out of there. We'll get on with life. But David wasn't fond of that because he said, who am I? I'm a shepherd boy. I'm a heart player. I don't come from a wealthy or, or, or dominant family. I'm not worthy of the king's daughter. I, I don't know if I'm fond of that idea. I don't know if he was letting Merib off easy. She wasn't very pretty or whatever. And he's like, you know, I got to make this sound really good or whatever. I mean, she has a good personality, Saul, but you know, you know how that works. Well, apparently David delayed long enough for Saul's oldest daughter to be given in marriage to another man. So he, he, he talked long enough to get out of this. You ever been in one of those situations? I just got to stall long enough for, for this to pass. Well, don't miss the subtle detail in verse 19. This is incredible. But it came to pass at the time when Merib, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, that she was given unto Adriel, the Maholothite, to wife. Are, you see what's happening? This is no coincidence. Watch this. God was with David. That meant that God was protecting David. That meant that God was working behind the scenes for David. Saul thought he was calling the shots, but God was pulling the strings. Proving here that regardless of the circumstance or opposition or crafty manipulative tactic, God is present and powerful to act for his good. God said, I'm not letting Saul's little tactic kill you, buddy. I got your back. But Saul didn't give up there. He said, my spears didn't work. My oldest daughter didn't work. But I have a younger daughter named Michael, and she's got a crush on David. So I'm going to use her as a pawn, and I'm going to try to get him wed to get him dead strategy one more time. Now, look, he doesn't win the father of the year award with these stunts. Look at this in verse 20. And Michael, Saul's daughter, loved David. And they told Saul and the thing pleased him. And Saul said, I will give him her that she may be a snare to him and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Wherefore Saul said to David, thou shalt this day be my son-in-law in the one of the twain. And Saul commanded his servants saying, commune with David secretly and say, behold, the king hath delight in thee and all servants love thee. Now therefore be the king's son-in-law. And Saul's servants spake those words in the ears of David. And look what David said. Seemeth it to you a light thing to be a king's son-in-law? Seeing that I am a poor man? And lightly esteemed. He said, do you not know who I am? I just told you. I come from a poor family. I can't afford the bride price. And this played perfectly into Saul's hands. Saul knew he'd say that. And so look what he did in verse 25. And Saul said, thus shall ye say to David, 
The king desireth not any dowry. Oh, I don't want cash. What does he desire? This gets weird. And hundred foreskins of the Philistines. Um, someone say ouch. That's about the appropriate response. He says, I don't want cash. I want the foreskins of a hundred military men. Now listen closely. I don't want to be crude in all honesty, but this is, this is what the Bible says. There wouldn't be one man in all the world, let alone a hundred military men that would freely give up his foreskin. Here you go, David, take mine. That's exactly the point. Saul was sending David on a suicide mission. He wanted David to get killed and surely David would die. Yet God was with him. So it doesn't matter who's against him. And David knew that. Look, look, this shows us a scoreboard. Verse 27. Wherefore David arose and went, he and his men, and slew the Philistines, 200 men. And David brought their foreskins. And they gave them in full tell to the king that he might be the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him Michael, his daughter, to wife. Okay, scoreboard. David, 200. Saul, zero. The more Saul tried to hurt David, the more Saul hurt himself. And not only is David not dead, but his successful military mission, though very weird, has strengthened his reputation as the national hero. People love him even more now. And he's now part of Saul's royal family. Are you getting the idea? Saul said, God, I will be king, not David. And God says, yeah, right. I'm going to use your efforts to try to kill him, to actually propel him forward. You're going to try to hurt him and your efforts to try to hurt him are going to be the means by which I promote him even higher. Because if God be for you, who can be against you? Saul, in all his efforts, get this, could not kill one single shepherd boy. The, the writer's goal here is to confirm for his readers that David really is God's anointed. The, the evidence of God's special presence with him and protection upon him is absolutely clear. No matter what Saul does, he cannot and he will not change God's plan for David. Paul said so in Romans 8, 1 for New Testament believers. If God be for us, finish the verse, who can be against us? In other words, when Satan opposes you by causing others to be against you, don't worry. Don't fret. Don't fight. Because God is with you. They cannot and will not destroy his purposes and plan through your life. David understood this. You need to understand this. That regardless of the circumstance or the opposition, God was present and powerful to act for David's good and he's present and powerful to act for your good. That's why David fought a barren lion. A bear and a lion. Because he knew God was with him. It's why he stood up to a giant when no one else would because he knew God was with him. That's why he went out to battle and got 200 foreskins because he knew God was with him. 
And that's why you should fulfill God's plan for your life no matter how scary it is. Because God is with you. The same is true for a man in the Bible named Joseph. You listening? Genesis chapter 39. Four times in that chapter alone it said of Joseph, the Lord was with him. When, when, when Joseph's brother attempted to kill him, they couldn't. You know why? God is with them. When Potiphar's wife falsely accused him, thought she put him away in prison to rot away for his whole life. He didn't rot away in prison forever. God was with him. When Joseph interpreted a dream for some fellow prisoners and begged them, don't, don't forget me. But they forgot him. And most people would think Joseph's story would end in a prison cell, forgotten by God. Nope, God was with him. So he moved on Pharaoh's heart to use Joseph to interpret his dream. And that elevated Joseph to rise to second in charge in the entire nation of Egypt because God was with him. And he would later tell his brothers, what you did to me, you meant for evil, but God meant it for my good. In other words, Joseph is saying, because God was with me, it didn't matter the circumstance or the opposition or the attack, even from my own brothers. God was always present and he was always more than capable to act for my good. And God did just that. Christian, listen to me. For God to be with you, that is no light thing. If you are treating this message like a Christian cliche, some kind of Christianese speak, oh, God's with me. Great. Thanks for that reminder. You are letting it go right over your head. Watch, it's one thing for me to say, I'm going to walk down a dark alley, but it's okay because I, I got my chihuahua with me. I mean, that's, that's one thing. It's another thing for me to tell you, I'm going to walk down a dark alley, but I got my Rottweiler with me. It's one thing for me to say that, that somebody can come into my house, but it's okay because I got my water gun with me. It's another thing for me to say, somebody's going to break into my house, but it's okay because I got my nine millimeter with me. Knowing my gun skills, I'd probably be more effective with the water gun, to be real honest. I can load that a lot easier. I've talked to you about that before. Hurts the thumb, putting that thing in, man. When I say that God is with you, watch. I'm saying the creator of the world's with you. Wow. The sustainer of the universe is with you. When I say God is with you, I'm saying the one that holds the sun and the moon and the stars in their place. He's with you. The one that rose Jesus from the dead. He's with you. The one that one day will defeat Satan and throw him into the lake of fire. He is with you. We're not talking about a chihuahua. We're talking about the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who you might run into in the dark alleys of life or the dark valleys of life. If you've got God with you, who can be against you? If you've got God with you, it doesn't matter the situation. It doesn't matter the setting. It doesn't matter the attack. It doesn't matter the enemy. It doesn't matter the challenge. He is present and powerful to act for your good. David said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Thou art with me. Well, none of us here tonight are being threatened by a royal scheme like David was. We are being threatened by sin that can so easily beset us. We're being threatened by a world that wants to press us into its mold. We're being threatened by the devil who wants to drive us away from God. We're faced with fears. We're pressured by pain. We're shackled by shame. We're, we're running from regret. We're coping with loss. We're enticed daily. We're overwhelmed. Some in here, if you're honest, you're just tired. 
And in the face of such dangers, in the face of such burdens, in the face of such opposition, let me ask you tonight before I'm done, who is with you? Who is with you? For some, sadly, it's a what, not a who that's with you. You've got money in the bank. You've got a lucrative career. You've got a decent reputation. You've got self-esteem. You've got great health and a lot of energy and a sense of optimism that may or may not be connected to reality. For other people, it's a who, but the who's not God. Your who is a husband. Your who's a wife. Your who's a child. Your who's a parent. Your who's a friend. Your who is a therapist. Your who is a spiritual leader. Your who is someone you idolize and depend on more than God in your life. But the problem with all these things, with all these people, is that it cannot be said with any degree of certainty or assurance that regardless of the circumstances or opposition, they will always be present and they will always be powerful to act for your good. Are you with me? Money is lost. Careers come to an end. Reputations become stained. People make mistakes. Therapists die. Spiritual leaders fail. That doesn't mean we shouldn't rely on others, but it does mean that we should not and cannot uh, put our ultimate trust in people. We need God with us. God who is, is unchanging. God who is immovable. God who is always perfectly loving and always in control. Don't you want God to be with you tonight? may be tempted to say, yeah, I want God to be with me, but I'm no David. He was special. He was God's anointed king. And that's true. But if you trace that word anointed down in scripture, you're going to find that it comes to a place of amazing fullness. Becomes, it comes all the way through the Old Testament, through the 400 year period between Malachi and Matthew. And it lands in Matthew chapter 1. With a baby named Jesus. Did you know that Christ isn't Jesus' last name? He wasn't from the Christ family in Nazareth. Christ is a Greek word for Messiah. And Messiah is how you say anointed one in Hebrew. Jesus Christ is the anointed one from the seed of David, the anointed king. Watch here. What did they prophesy would be one of Jesus' names? Matthew 1, Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. What does that mean for you? You don't have to be a king to have God with you. You don't have to be a David to have God with you. You have to believe in Jesus as your personal Savior. And God is with you because God dwells in you through Jesus Christ. And it gets better. At the beginning of his time on earth, it was said of Jesus, Matthew chapter 1, he would be with us. Fast forward to the end of his time with his disciples on earth. What was his last promise in Matthew 28? And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. When Jesus came to earth, his very name promised his presence. When Jesus left the earth, he promised his presence. And when he comes back to earth the next time, he will be with us, not just in spirit, but in person for all eternity. 
So save believer, you have nothing to fear because God is with you. No circumstance, no enemy can thwart God's plan and purpose in and through your life. I don't care what the spear is. I don't care how sharp it is, how many of them there are, how fast it's coming. You are God's child. And that means that regardless of the circumstance or opposition, he is present and powerful to act for your good. And may I say this, that's good news for Fellowship Baptist Church as well. I don't know if you know this, but in the month of June alone, 14 people in our church have gotten saved. 14 people. Here's what that means. We better watch out for spears. Because where kingdom growth is happening, Satan takes notice. And he will use flesh and blood to stop us. And a lot of times the attacks come from within. But here's the good news. Jesus himself promised no spear can derail the work of his church. Not even the gates of hell can prevail against us. So here's what we got to say. We're not in great attack right now. We're not under great attack. But if our church ever comes under satanic attack, you better take heed. Take heed. God is for us. It don't matter who's against us. We are the church of the living God. And that is nothing to be arrogant about. We ought to be humbled by that. But it, it ought to be comforting. We are safe. The church is safe. And if you're a child of God, you're safe. So don't get overwhelmed by all the spears of life. You're going to have to dodge a few. But as you dodge them, remind yourself, this is what comes when God's with you. But because God's with me, keep them coming. Who can be against me? Amen? Stand to your feet, every head.